This is the last time for a while. I think I'll be asking you or inviting you to, to go to Ephesians in your Bible. Uh, we're wrapping up this morning our study in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. In just a couple minutes, we'll be looking at uh, Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. Uh, when I was in uh, high school and took a speech class, uh, our teacher reminded us or taught us uh, to be very careful about the very first thing you say to folks and be very careful about the very last thing you say to folks. Because in any presentation, whether it's written or whether it's oral, people tend to remember the, the first thing you said and the last thing you said, which makes me wonder why I spend so much time on the 25 minutes in between uh, those two things. Uh, however, I think that that's true. And I want to just, before we jump into this passage, I want to talk about the first thing and the last thing that Paul says, because this morning we're going to look at the last. The first thing that Paul says, and he says it throughout the, uh, the, whole, the letter to the church in Ephesus, is that we're in Christ by God's grace, that that's creating unity, it's creating a community between us and God and with one another. And all that happens because we're in Christ. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but just listen to some of the introductory verses in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So this notion of being in Christ is the very first thing that Paul says to this church. What's the last thing that he says to this group of folks? He says, pray, pray, pray. Prayer is something that for the disciple of Jesus, actually for, for everybody walking around the, the, the planet, the idea or the notion of prayer has crossed their mind at one time or another. Uh, even those who, who doubt uh, or maybe don't believe that there is a God, even they will think about prayer uh, at one time or another. For the disciple of Jesus, prayer is something that is very important. It ought to be something that uh, is central to our lives. I was reading an article this week written by a Christian in Sri Lanka talking about the attacks on the church last week that killed several hundred people. And, and then yesterday afternoon, we read in the, the newspaper again of an of attack at a, of a synagogue uh, in San, uh, in uh, San Diego. Uh, the need for prayer is abundant. Uh, but this person was writing, the title of the article was Six Things That Christians Can Do in Response to These Attacks. And this is one of the things that he mentioned. While it may seem foolish to spend time praying during a crisis where there is so much to do, this is the most powerful thing God's people can do in a national crisis. We need to mobilize individual and corporate prayer among Christians. Leaders must take the lead in calling for prayer. Christians in Sri Lanka often lose hope when they are faced with wave after wave of bad news. But we don't pray with a defeatist attitude. We know that God is building his kingdom culminating in the return of Christ, and that our actions are building blocks in this process. First thing Paul reminds us is that we are in Christ. The second, or the, the final thing he reminds us, is that as we are in Christ, we ought to be people of prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, hear the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, 
that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the ministry of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. I'm going to offer a moment of silent prayer for you to ask God to speak directly to you this morning, and then I'll pray for us corporately. Father, we gather together this morning uh, in a a place we call a house of worship, but there's only worship uh, when our hearts are drawn to you. There's nothing significant about a building or about a structure. It is is when it is filled with your people and your spirit uh, that worship takes place. And Lord, we come to worship uh, not as blank slates, not as having everything perfect and easy in our lives. We come with a wide variety of hopes and anticipations as well as fears and sorrows. Father, we come having experienced a week of life. Uh, For many of us, there were uh, challenges uh, as well as opportunities. There were moments of joy as well as moments of sorrow, moments of thankfulness and courage and moments of, of fear and perhaps even desperation. Lord, you gathered us together uh, in order to grow our faith in order to uh, draw us closer to yourself, uh, to make us more like Jesus, and in that process to nourish our souls. So Lord, it is that for which we pray. Uh, We ask that you would teach us, we ask that you would correct us, that you would instruct us, that you would uh, provide all that is necessary, that our relationship of being uh, your children in Christ would grow deeply, would take deep root in our lives, and would produce a fruit Uh, of peace and of joy and of thankfulness, even when life is difficult, even when circumstances and and moments are are, uh, very hard. Father, part of that journey is the journey of prayer. And I pray that you would teach us that this morning, that you would grow prayer in our lives through this time in your word. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon and sentence is pretty straightforward this morning. Uh, Being in Christ and in community, that's what Paul has been teaching, uh, with one another, it creates the opportunity for a life of prayer. Now, notice it it doesn't say that it results in a life of prayer, that automatically being a disciple of Jesus makes you a person of great, uh, deep, uh, abiding, long uh, prayer. Uh, That's an opportunity for us, an opportunity for each one of us to grow in our lives of prayer. But it is something that is important in the life of every believer. I would imagine that if if we just pause for a minute and went around the room and said, could you mention one thing for which you need prayer? I'm guessing that everybody would be able to come up with an answer to that question pretty quickly. I ran into someone right after the eight o'clock service this morning, was sitting right right over there by where the Abishans are sitting, and I hadn't seen her for a while. I hadn't seen her for a few weeks, and I'm sure she'd been here. Our paths just hadn't crossed, and so we were shaking hands, and I said, hey, real quick, is there anything for which I could be praying for you this week? Didn't take a blink of the eye for her to respond to that question. Now, you might feel uncomfortable sharing if someone were to ask you that question, but it doesn't mean that there aren't immediate thoughts that come to mind about the need we have for prayer. 
And so Paul rightly, I believe, finishes the book of Ephesians by calling us to be a people of prayer. And I appreciate the way Paul does this because he's not fussing at us. He's not wagging his finger at us and telling us how bad we are at it and how much better we should be at prayer. He uses encouragement. He uses some observations to remind us of the blessing of prayer. So while we should be convicted by the Spirit of God, we should be convicted by the Word of God to go deeper in every aspect of discipleship, including prayer. We ought not walk away from this passage feeling guilty that that God is in some way angry with us because we're not praying as we ought. I would imagine just as quickly as you would have the answer to how could we pray for you if I said, okay, everybody jump up out of their seats. If you have, you know, the best prayer life in the world and you don't need to grow in that at all, I'm guessing everybody would, would stay seated and I would run and sit down with you. So we all need to grow in prayer in a lot of different aspects. And I think this passage gives us three ways in particular that we can consider this morning. The first is this. In verse 18, I believe what Paul is teaching by way of making a statement is that prayer is a way of life. Look at how he writes this verse. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The the notion here is that, that prayer ought to be becoming a very natural thing for you and me. There's, there's a lot for which we should be praying. This verse speaks to that in, in a very succinct and direct way. So the need is there. The question is, is the discipline here in my heart and in my mind to be a person of prayer? The more I grow in prayer, the more it will become as natural and necessary as, as breathing. I can't live without breathing. And I think spiritually, we, we can't live really to the fullest without prayer. How do we know this? Is it simply because Paul told us? Well, no, there's more to it than that. If you go back to the Gospels, you know that Jesus taught a great deal on prayer. But not only did Jesus teach on prayer, and we'll come to one of those passages in a minute, but Jesus demonstrated he lived out a life of prayer. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, Luke is talking about the growing popularity of Jesus and the intense number of people that are pursuing him every day just to get a glimpse, just to hear one lesson that he has to teach, just to experience one healing. And notice the response of Jesus to this popularity and to this crush on his time and, and on, his, on his ministry. Even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate place and pray. If Jesus felt the need to pray, I probably should too. I think that's a relatively safe assumption. So Jesus is ministering day in and day out. There's never a moment of peace and quiet when Jesus is anywhere near a populated area. And yet, how does Jesus respond? I just need to give more and more of myself? I need to to go 24-7? No, Jesus looked at the pressure that was on him in his ministry. He looked at the challenges that were before him in his ministry. He said, I need to get alone with my Father. I, I need to be nourished in my own soul. And he did that by going away and by spending time in prayer. So that when it comes to the end of his earthly ministry, and we get to Luke chapter 22, Jesus is about to go to the cross. How does he react? Does he panic? Does does he run around trying to to try to avoid things and, and correct things and change things? 
He's very quiet. He's very still, and he's very specific in his actions. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. The disciples followed him. And when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Prayer was a natural thing for our Savior and our Lord. Prayer needs to become a natural thing in your life and in my life. Jesus, as was his custom. Jesus wasn't in a moment of crisis and said, boy, now is the time for me to start thinking about learning how to pray. Jesus didn't react to this this crisis by starting something new. He stayed with what he knew to be true, that when he spoke to his father and when he listened to his father, that intimate relationship would give him spiritual strength. It was his way of life. E.M. Bounds, a great theologian, has written prayers, outlive the lives of those who utter them, outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. Perhaps you're familiar with Oswald Chambers, who I wrote a little devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest, which has been read and is read daily by millions of Christians. And Oswald Chambers, who's a phenomenal writer, is a tremendous thinker, could have said reading a devotional is the most important thing, but what does Chambers say? Chambers says, prayer is the greater work. And then modern theologian of our generation, Tim Keller, I love the way he says this, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent upon God for everything. Prayer has that effect in my life. It reminds me that I'm not in control. It reminds me that that I am saved by God's grace and mercy through Christ. It reminds me that I am spiritually dependent upon my Father for his good gifts and blessings to me. And the more I make prayer a way of life, the more it becomes natural to me, just as breathing is natural, the stronger my faith is in Christ. It doesn't mean that my life will be simple or easy, but it does mean that there will be a, a peace and a steadiness and a composure in those moments where I'm tempted to, to get too high because good things are happening or to get too low because see, things seem so desperate. Are you, am I, are we making prayer a way of life? So how, how do we go about that? I mean, we, we get it, Paul, when you say all the time with all people for all the saints, sure, that makes sense. But, but where do we start? How do we, how do we jump into this? I think in verse 18, uh, we see that Paul is giving us some direction here when he says this, uh, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I think there are two words here that are important for us. The first is that Paul, Paul is talking about an intentional prayer, and Paul is also talking about an empowered prayer. Let's talk about an intentional prayer for just a minute. The notion around me is kind of where do I start? Well, we see here that Paul is reinforcing that prayer is a big part uh, of every disciple's life. He talks about praying at all times, but he but notice again what we see in Jesus' life, as was his custom. Jesus was intentional about his prayer life. You could say that Jesus' prayer life was habitual. It was something that he was used to that he did day in and day out. So perhaps you have gone about the process in your life of saying, you know, I need to do X, Y, or Z, and I, and I need to really pay attention to this because I want it to become a habit. I want it to be something that I just kind of end up doing 
automatically. Maybe it's eating better or exercising more, that sort of thing. But the notion here of intentional prayer is that prayer becomes our habit and not the exception to the rule. So how do you form a new habit? Well, there, I've, I've got a kind of a fun way to go about it. I found this cartoon this week, and this, is, this, this might help us a little bit. I see you every day and never talk to you. I'm making an effort to change for the better, so I won't be standing here tomorrow. <laughs> you, know, you could just kind of stop reading your Bible and what it says about prayer and don't think about it anymore. And in the short term, it might make you feel a little bit better, uh, but it really isn't going to help you spiritually. So how do we as just normal human beings go about forming habits in our lives that are healthy, that are spiritually nurturing for us, that are growing us in our faith? So prayer may not be a new habit for you or for me, but it might be a habit that, that needs some cleaning up. It might be a habit that needs some growth to it. It needs to expand a bit in our lives. And so I, I found an article this week that wasn't based on uh, scripture specifically, but it was a research project that a group did uh, about 10 years ago on what it takes to form a habit. So I'm just going to kind of pause from scripture and I'm going to read a couple paragraphs out of this study because I think it's actually insightful when it comes to our prayer lives. So the study showed that it takes on average, you remember on average here, 66 days to create a new habit. It was done by a research team at University College in London. They had 96 participants, and they, act, they had them report on a daily basis on, on new habits. Could involve eating or drinking or exercise. One of the examples they gave was uh, waking up at 6 for breakfast, drinking two cups of water after lunch, uh, or doing 50 push-ups right after waking up, which seems to me to be a recipe for heart attack. But uh, the, you're younger and you're stronger, you can do that. But the notion was... How often do you have to kind of do that, remind yourself, make notes of it to get it right? Some habits formed in as little as 18 days. Others took as long as 254 days. At its very core, habits are routine, automatic, and sequential movements of our bodies. After all, our habit that we seek to create involves some form of movement of the body, whether it's writing, reading, eating, or exercising. And I would throw in there for our topic today, or even kneeling. The brain likes to take a sequence of actions and convert them into automatic routine where it goes into the unconscious portion of the brain. For instance, brushing your teeth is a sequence of complicated motor skills that you do every day without consciously thinking about each step. The habit of brushing your teeth is a learned one, just like any other habit. The act of brushing your teeth every morning was made into a routine when you were a child. And it's done so repeatedly. As it was done so repeatedly, it became automated. So this week, I did my own personal study on how many different motor skills you use when you brush your teeth. And I quit after the second day because I couldn't track them. It's amazing how much stuff you do without thinking when you're brushing your teeth. Why? Because it's a habit that's been learned. It's automatic now. How easy or hard it is to form a habit really depends on the achievability of the habit and the person's personality. For those who have great prospective memory, which is the ability to remember to do things in the future, or for those who are able to establish routines easily, creating habits comes easier. For those that are impulsive or are not used to having routines, established habits are harder. In addition, those who will try to create one habit at a time will have an easier time. So if you're finding that it has been a few weeks and it's still extremely hard to create a habit, it's not because you don't have any will. It is because the habit has not yet had enough time to become ingrained in your brain. 
In actuality, it takes a little over two months to create a habit, according to this study. But once a habit is formed, the action will become automatic and second nature. But until then, you will have to consciously try to repeat the action every day. I, I just think that's tremendous recipe for making prayer a habit in my life. It's going to take some time to think it through. It's going to take some time to plan, but it needs to be intentional, intentional prayer. So let me give you just one idea. If you're thinking about this and you're, you're towards the beginning stages of this in your life, I would encourage you to buy a notebook, just a plain old blank notebook. It doesn't have to be leather bound and really cool. Although if that motivates you, then go get a leather bound, really cool notebook, but just get something where you can jot down your prayer requests. And when you're sitting in the morning and you're kneeling, you're having a prayer time, jot down the however many, three, four, five, 10, 12 things for which you're praying, and then keep track of those and go back. And when, when God answers one of those prayers, go back and write down the answer. Pretty soon you'll have a whole notebook filled with prayers asked and prayers answered, prayers still pending, uh, prayers still up in the air, but you will begin to see a pattern of intentional prayer in your life. Our prayers need to be intentional, but they also, we want to take encouragement from this, they are empowered. Let's go back to verse 18 for just a minute. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. That's a capital S there. That's not in my, my human spirit to work harder. It's talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. What does the third person of the Trinity, what's one of the things that he does? He empowers our lives of prayer. If you go to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, I, I take great encouragement from this passage on a couple of levels. Paul writes, likewise, the Spirit helps us, and notice that's a capital S, in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There are two things there about empowered prayer that really encourage me. The, the, the first is this, that Paul mentions the fact that, and, and Paul's been a Christian a long, long time. Paul, Paul probably wrote this in his late 50s. He's been a church planter. He's been a pastor. He's been an elder. He's been a believer for a long time. He, he is the greatest of all the apostles. Uh, God has, has literally changed the course of the world through the coming of the Lord Jesus and then used Paul to take that, that next first crucial step of the journey into the world around him. The world is different today because of the work of the apostle Paul. You cannot underestimate how God used Paul to, to, to bring Christianity into the world post the, the life uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say? Look at that carefully. We includes him. He says, I don't know how to pray the way I should. <laughs> One of the greatest Christians that ever walked there said, I, you know what, I just don't always know how to pray the right way. And, and, and that truly is encouraging for me to think about someone who has that deep of faith who says, man, I need some help. But then he goes, what? He goes right to God and says, and here's the help. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray and, and creates prayer in our hearts uh, that, that go before the throne of God. I, I don't think you can underestimate this passage of Scripture. In fact, for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about prayers. We come out of Ephesians before we get to the summer. We're going to spend uh, this Sunday included for the next five Sundays talking about prayer. And three weeks from now, this is going to be the passage we're going to study the entire sermon. It's that important, but see the empowerment there. If you're like, I don't have the strength to pray, stand next to Paul. Say, I don't know how to pray. 
sit down with Paul and have a conversation, he would say the exact same thing. But you are both empowered by the same God so that your prayer can be intentional because it is empowered by his Holy Spirit. And thirdly, not only does Paul call us to a way of life and intentional and empowered prayer, but he reminds us that specificity in prayer is important. Making supplication for all the saints. Paul is saying there to the, to the Christians in Ephesus, y'all should be praying for each other, for all the saints. The notion of supplication there is making a request. So there are prayers where we give thanks to God that are not a request. We just, we just pour out our hearts to God and we praise him and we give him thanks. There, there are prayers where we confess our sins to God. Uh, but there are also prayers where we pray for the needs of others and where we pray for the needs in our own lives. We have to be reminded by scripture that we're going to a father who loves us and he loves to meet those needs. He loves to care for his children. We're going to a father who, who he's not going to hold back. He's not stingy. He's not mad at us. He loves us unconditionally in Christ. And, and he calls us to bring our needs before him. And if, if that's not true, then why did Jesus teach his disciples to ask for stuff when they prayed? The, Jesus, the disciples were watching Jesus pray one day and they said, would you teach us how to do that? And he said, absolutely, I'd be happy to teach you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's praise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a request. That's a supplication. Here's another one. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's another one. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Here's another one. Lead us not into temptation. Here's another one. Deliver us from evil. All that supplication. All that is making our requests known to God, but it's in the context of the family of God. Paul says, praying for all the saints. Do you pray for your church? Do you pray for your church collectively? Do you pray for the ministries of this church? We have a couple of, of visuals on the screen there. Are you praying all the time? Am I praying all the time for the elders of this church? The women's ministry, the women's teaching ministry, the Stephen ministry, children's ministry. Ministry to our students, our middle school students, our high school students, our college age students. Are we praying for the deacons? We have a new helps ministry reboot this morning. We can be praying for that. Our ministry partners around St. Louis and around the world, all of those groups of people need prayer. And Paul is right to remind you and me this morning to pray for all the saints. That's one specific, but the other specific is he says, and pray for me. I love the way he ends this, pray for me that words may be given to me, that opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Isn't it beautiful that this, this you know, all-star first team Christian, so to speak, doesn't say, look, I got it licked. I got it figured out. Take time praying for other folks, but I don't need any prayer because I, I'm, I'm further down the road and I'm, I'm great. I got this all taken care of. He said, pray for me that I would do what? That I preach the gospel. Like, Paul, you've been preaching the gospel, you know, for the last 30 years. You still want me to pray for that? He goes, yeah, I still need boldness. I still need to open my mouth and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we praying for each other individually as well? If you want to know somebody you can pray for, you can pray for the pastor of this church. If you can't think of anybody else, I'm volunteering my name to you this morning. There's one of my fellow preachers, Jackson, who preached a sermon with me a few weeks ago. You can pray for Jackson, too. Pray for, pray, pray for the pastors of this church. Pray for the staff. Pray for your spouse if you're married. Pray for your kids if you have any. Pray for your parents if you have any. Pray for your, some of your children don't want to have parents right now, but they love you and they care for you. You should pray for them all the time. They have, believe it or not, it's not the easiest thing in the world being your parent. You might not realize that, but that, they need prayer. 
Pray for your boss. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your neighbors. So I'm happy to pray for people individually, but how do I pray for them? What do I do? Here's an idea. Ask them. <laughs> Ask them. Again, I, this, this person that I chatted with this morning, it, it wasn't hard for, for her to tell me something for which uh, I could be praying for her. We're actually going to ask you to, to invite you to jot down a prayer request in just a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll come to that in a second. But, but ask folks if you're not sure what they might need. I remember when I first started pastoring at Green Tree. And Green Tree was really the first time where it was, and I don't mean this in, in the wrong way, it was my pulpit. I, it, was my, it was a church where I was going to be preaching regularly. I had been preaching at a church before, but I was the interim pastor there. Green Tree was really the first place where it was my home and, and where I was going to be the one who did the bulk of the, the preaching. And, and early on in that, I said, you know what? I don't ever want to stand up in front of Green Tree without finding a quiet corner somewhere, getting by myself, kneeling down, physically kneeling, and praying. And so I started doing that. For the very first Sunday I was at Green Tree, I'd find a quiet spot and I'd get away from the service before it started and I would go and pray. And after doing that for a few weeks, I, I was praying one morning, like, you know what, I ought to pray for my buddy Sean Robinson. Sean Robinson's a pastor. He had planted a church about the exact same time out in California, outside of San Francisco. I pray for Sean. So I'd pray for me and then I'd pray for Sean. And then I got to think about, you know, Mike Moses just planted a church. He's over in Charlotte, North Carolina. I should pray for Mike on Sunday morning. So I'd pray for Mike, I'd pray for Sean, I'd pray for me. I got to thinking about my buddy Jim Holland, who lives down in Memphis, Tennessee. Now he had just planted a church. And so I pray for Jim, and I pray for Sean, and I pray for Mike, and I pray for me. And then I started thinking about Tom Melton, my buddy out in Denver, who was not, he was a member of, he was a pastor of a large church, but they were planting church. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray for Jim, I'm going to pray for Tom, I'm going to pray for Sean, I'm going to pray for Mike, I'm going to pray for me. And it just kept going. I didn't, I, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't set out to be someone who prays for a lot of people. My prayer life, quite honestly, is lacking in a lot of different ways. That's the, that's the truth. I need the sermon more than anybody else in this room. But there are now over 100 men I pray for every Sunday morning. Do you know how irritating that is? Do <laughs> you know how much earlier I have to get up on Sunday morning to pray for these clowns? <laughs> it's, and, I, and, and God keeps giving me names. It's, it's ridiculous. But it's praying for people with specificity because God's laid it on my heart. Not because I'm a good prayer, but because God has laid it on my heart. And he'll do that for you. I'm nobody special. If we are intentional about following this last thing that Paul says, if you don't even know for whom you should be praying today, just begin. Pick a, pick a name. Look around you. If you don't know somebody, walk up and say, I have no idea what your name is. Tell me your name because you're the person I'm praying for. As we do this, God will change our hearts. I love what Tim Keller says about this. Tim Keller says this, in short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. <laughs> that is a, you should write that down or take a picture over your phone. That's a great statement. I don't know how to pray, but God does. And if I pray the wrong prayer, he'll say, you know what, Rick's was, he, we got him going the right direction. Just edit that Holy Spirit just a little bit because here, here's what it really should have been. How gracious is God that he would allow us to have lives of prayer that create intimate fellowship with him. And we're all busy and stuff tries to push it and get it out of the way and make it less of a priority. But brothers and sisters, Green Tree Community Church will only be as healthy as we are a people of prayer. And I don't say that to shame us or to make us feel guilty, but to encourage us to follow this last word of Paul in Ephesians. So we're going we're gonna to practice this morning, right here, right now, if you want to. You don't have to, but I hope you do want to. Take out this little prayer card. Looks like this. Got nice little colors on it. 
Notice it says on the back, name is optional. You don't have to put your name on it. You can if you want, but let me tell you what we're going to do. As soon as I finish the instructions, we're going to have a moment or two of silence, and that's a chance for you to jot down a prayer request. So this is not who, you know, you're, you're praying something for somebody else. This is you uh, asking for prayer for you. If you don't have one of these, raise your hands because we've got folks coming through that'll hand you one. So uh, we'll keep your hand up until you get one. We've got a couple people that are, that are working the room and we will get to you. So jot down a prayer request. And again, put your name off if you want. You don't ha- have to if you don't want to. And then when we're all done, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing as we traditionally do to close our service. And I'm gonna ask you then to pass your cards. You want them to go to the outside, Jen Allen? So you're gonna, so when you're, when we start to sing, you're gonna pass your cards to the outside and the folks who are handing out the cards will come by and collect them. We have a bunch more up here over on my left that need some. And before you exit the room, what they're gonna do is they're gonna take these cards and they're gonna put them in some baskets. They'll put some baskets out there and a basket out there, whichever door you go out. Then when you're on your way out, you grab one out and double check and make sure it's not yours because there's a chance you could get your own card. If it's yours, put it back in. Grab somebody else's and pray for that person this week, okay? So take a minute now, as soon as you get your card, and jot down prayer requests. Jen Allen, you getting some more? We hope. And we got some more. Okay. Here, I've got two up. I've got one up here. So go ahead and write. Here's one. Anybody else still need one? One up there. I think we got just about everybody. I think one more right there, Jen, right behind you. Did you guys all get one? You good? Okay. And by the way, keep the commemorative Green Tree Community Church pen. That's our gift to you this morning. (laughs) I think the ink works in most of them. (laughs) We didn't spend a bunch on the pens. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. If you're writing, just keep right on writing. Lord Jesus, thank you that you invite us into fellowship with our Heavenly Father through the sacrifice of your life on the cross. Father, thank you that you raised the Lord Jesus back to life that we celebrated last Sunday on Easter, which paves the way for us to be in relationship with you because we are in Christ, as Paul has taught us over and over again in the book of Ephesians. And now, Father, help us to learn this last word. Help us to remember that you invite us to be people of prayer, people of fellowship with one another and people in fellowship with you. Father, before any of us wrote down any of these requests this morning, you knew all of them. 
But Lord, we don't. And so it'll be great for us to grab uh, a card or two and to be praying for one another. Lord, may this be an, an encouragement to continue on or perhaps first steps for us in our journey of making prayer a way of life, uh, a blessing for us and a blessing for your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.